most often today when people discuss the idea of uh, natural rights and especially of uh, civil rights, uh, what they're really talking about is uh, positive freedoms. And there's a crucial difference uh, between the two uh, classifications, uh, one being uh, obviously protected in our founding documents and originating from some outside source uh, beyond the scope and reach of society or government. Well, the other um, is a s given to us by government and by society, which obviously means then that those uh, positive freedoms can be withdrawn really at any given time. Now, what's truly interesting about conversations surrounding rights, uh, especially the, the modern time, is that... For those things that are supposed to be most sacred and protected, legitimate natural rights and constitutional rights, uh, they're generally chipped away uh, through legislation and court decisions, uh, piece by piece by piece, and, and not unironically, uh, it's, those pursuits are made by uh, citizens, most often, uh, who immediately look to the federal government to do something uh, that they view is going to have a specific consequence or result without really any reason to think that. Meanwhile, uh, those things that are not natural rights or civil rights uh, are championed. That's uh, where you'll find your protests, your largest lawsuits, uh, and the like. So we've kind of had a strange reversal of understanding of what these things are, uh, which is very dangerous uh, in a free society especially on one uh, that is predicated really on the uh, protection of natural rights by government, from government, and from uh, our fellow countrymen. So before embarking on an examination of positive freedoms, it's useful to kind of compare them to uh, natural rights and how that works. So we've talked about natural rights previously, and the best way to uh, kind of keep in mind what are what are natural rights is their protections from or against actions of government and other citizens, <clears throat> and they are also uh, they require nothing from anyone else to exercise them, and everyone can exercise these rights simultaneously. Uh, without interfering with the ability of anyone else to do so. And that is actually an obligation of people who choose to live in a free society. It's not just to enjoy the privileges of a free society, but also to observe its obligations, which generally means not limiting or infringing on the ability of others to exercise those same rights. Now, positive freedoms, by contrast, uh, they are guarantees or promises of something or for something, uh, generally by government. Uh, they do not originate anywhere other than uh, some type of governmental structure or entity, uh, be that a monarch or a representative democracy uh, or a pure democracy uh, and this kind of uh, subjective and arbitrary understanding of what these so-called rights are uh, also means that they can be altered, changed, 
or completely withdrawn uh, through the same processes uh, that they were instituted by. So these so-called rights, these positive freedoms, are transient. They can be uh, changed. Now, natural rights are not, in theory, supposed to be able to directly be confronted or obstructed by government. Now, the idea of positive freedoms didn't really start to emerge in the United States uh, until the earliest parts of the 20th century, uh, especially with Theodore Roosevelt, who went on to uh, found the Progressive Party, uh, actually, at that time period. Uh, although they generally ran with the kind of the euphemistically named Bull Moose Party, uh, really trying to ride that charisma train into political victory. Uh, you know, look at the man. Uh, Casita Roosevelt was an impressive human being. Uh, and he was dazzling and very distracting from the core ideas and their consequences uh, that he ran on, uh, which he will be uh, addressed in greater detail in a different series of episodes dealing specifically with presidents. Now, the thing with, with positive freedoms is... Uh, that term, which is correct, is so seldom used uh, when referring to them. Instead, they are packaged into these obscure and undefined uh, kind of uh, little packets. So we have things like social rights, political rights, human rights, uh, or my favorite, of course, is economic rights. And these are just a few. They're you can essentially attach a, a kind of a qualifier on the word rights to whatever uh, identity group is upset that day or week or moment. And everyone seems to think that they have a claim to a special series of rights only for them and people like them, which is such a dangerous and distorted view of what natural rights are and what civil rights are, uh, which it's crucial to understand that civil rights are natural rights. They are simply natural rights protected through a series of laws by the governmental structure. So they are acknowledgement of natural rights. <clears throat> now, uh, Dr. Peter C. Myers uh, wrote a brilliant piece uh, for the Heritage Foundation, titled From Natural Rights to Human Rights and Beyond. And he, he, he describes uh, the concept of human rights very well. So I'm going to quote from him here. Uh, and I quote, Human rights at first sight appear to be similarly grounded in a concept of human dignity or of the distinctive worth of human personality. But the appearance of similarity is misleading. In the latter understanding... Human rights are conceived not as the exercise of human faculties, but rather as a fulfillment of human needs. The transition from natural rights to human rights is a transition from a faculties-based to a needs-based argument of the basis, basis of rights, and from this transition arises serious difficulties in the human rights argument. So what Dr. Myers is illustrating here very well is that Another one of the largest and most defining changes between natural rights and kind of this this new school thought of positive freedoms, uh, which he's referring specifically to human rights, is that 
it, the purpose of the inherent protections against government and your fellow citizens uh, was for the was to allow individuals to exercise their faculties to the greatest extent possible. So your intellect, your ambition, your discipline, your drive, uh, your inventiveness, your creativity, your speech. Uh, these are all things that were attributed uh, as skill sets, abilities, traits, you know, what have you. Natural rights were not designed on a needs-based system, which you can uh, see that outline very clearly in uh, especially the modern discourse with rights. I need X, therefore I have a right to it. I have a right to something simply because I need it. Uh, and we'll, uh, when we examine uh, FDR's uh, second Bill of Rights, which is uh, kind of a really... Uh, overt use of symbolic transference, uh, and also some of the uh, the declarations put forward by the United Nations, we're going to see some very succinct examples of this kind of language. So FDR, uh, who was of course the not the first progressive president by far, uh, but he was one who permanently altered, uh, and I would. I would say, perverted the system of American government. And he did so uh, through the advantages afforded uh, to him through one of the greatest financial crises that's ever existed in the United States. And towards the end of his uh, unprecedented and untraditional uh, many, many terms as president, didn't quite get all four, but he was pretty close, he gave a speech where he dealt with a second Bill of Rights. <clears throat> now, in this particular speech, uh, he notes that people, he, he asserts that, that uh, the American public has assented in many respects to this second Bill of Rights simply by not stopping him from his New Deal and enact, enacting and expanding its, its policies. So that provides a bit of an insight into kind of the uh, entitlement of uh, his system of governance. But let's let's address just a couple of the the claims that he made in the second Bill of Rights, uh, and we're going to examine those uh, based on what we already understand now to be kind of the guiding principles of what uh, defines a natural right. So FDR uh, described that, uh, or insisted that everyone had a right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. The right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and dominion by monopolies at home or abroad. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment, and the right to a good education. 
<clears throat> now, one can examine these broadly, and the first question that comes to mind is, how are these things going to happen? To declare something a right means that the government is tasked with protecting that right, because that is the good and just function of government, is the protection of property. So if you attach that label to these kinds of claims, that means that you are not only empowering the government to take care of these things, but the government is obligated to ensure that these so-called air quotes rights are fulfilled. So what does that look like? Uh, well, it looks like a massive social welfare state. Uh, looks like massive government subsidies. Uh, looks like uh, top-down regulation, price controls. Uh, and in the modern day, uh, this is, uh, it looks like a giant uh, shortage of baby formula because of stringent FDA requirements, restrictions on external or uh, on importing formula from Europe, uh, and uh, choosing to shut down a plant that was later discovered uh, did not actually uh, cause an outbreak. So we have essentially a manufactured crisis as a result of empowering the government to do the kind of things the FDR thinks that it deserves to do. Uh, so let's just examine just one or two of these very simply because they're, they're rather uh, self-explanatory. So a right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries, shops, or farms, or mines of the nation. Okay, so the next, the next logical question is, is how, how? How, what is the follow-through on this? Remember now, with, with, with natural rights, it requires nothing from anyone in order for you to exercise that right. For me to exercise my religion, it requires nothing, only that other people not interfere with that. Uh, same thing with freedom of speech, uh, Second Amendment, uh, the due process clause. Uh, pretty much any freedom any natural right does not require anything from others other than except for that they don't interfere. And that is a mutual understanding uh, and requirement between both of us. Uh, just as they can do their or exercise their natural rights without me impeding. So how does that translate into guaranteeing someone a job with a certain wage? Well, if you accept that premise, then the government has to find you that job. The government either has to pay you that wage, or the government must force the employer to pay you that wage. If that wage is above the labor market value in the area or that time, because things uh, they alter drastically even from zip code, uh, then that employer can go out of business, uh, or more often than not, you'll end up with uh, government subsidy programs, uh, like with uh, the agricultural industry, which... In the modern day, uh, the crops that are grown are largely chosen by those that have the highest subsidies, not those that fulfill the largest market demand, uh, not those that have the greatest uh, sell value on a free and open market. But what crops do I stand to get paid the most guaranteed income uh, from the government uh, for doing? And of course, it's crucial to understand that any spending uh, done by the government is actually done by taxpayers with an extra step, or really with a couple extra steps, uh, and usually paying uh, bloated salaries for a few bureaucrats along the way.
the right of every family to a decent home. Now, that is probably the clearest example of, of an absurd uh, uh, <laughs> so-called uh, natural or civil right. And that's simply because in order for individuals to have that right, again, the government's now obligated to provide it. Now the government has to build you homes, the government has to subsidize, uh, and so on and so forth. Now what's especially interesting about uh, all of these, really, provided by FDR, is that there's really no education, and it's extremely ambiguous. Uh, again, going back to the home, what is a decent home? Who, uh, how is it identified? What's the square footage? How many rooms, bathrooms, running water? How many outlets? Uh, what about location? Uh, if you have a beautiful home, but it's so far away from civilization, uh, such as you know, in the modern day, let's say that you cannot uh, receive sufficient internet access, uh, which is largely <laughs> pert near a, uh, an, a an essential thing for work now. Well, then is that still a decent home? So there's this there, and, and this is true for all positive freedoms. There's this massive sense of ambiguity. They're uh, generally very subjective and very undefined. And the purpose for that is. Uh, for the creation or the enforcement of uh, massive uh, government bureaucracies. They determine these definitions, and those definitions change, uh, sometimes from month to month, it seems. Uh, but year to year, there is no real system in place uh, that slows or specifies what these things are meant to be and how these things are meant to be fulfilled. So when we examined uh, the negative freedoms, or negative liberties, or rational rights, you have a protection from and not for. It requires no infringement on the like freedom expressed by others. It's a reasonable expression of human rationality. They apply equally regardless of any other factors. You don't have to specify certain groups. And that's, this was the governing understanding of rights in the founding. Now, positive freedoms are essentially a direct contrast. They are a guarantee of resources or some kind of outcome uh, that is made by the governmental structure. The exercise of positive freedoms, it requires infringement oftentimes on the natural rights of others for their execution. Uh, and it oft they often also involve infringement on constitutional rights for their execution. Uh, and unlike the, uh, our constitutional rights or natural rights in general, which are understood to be objective truth, timeless, immortal, unchanging, positive freedoms can shift and alter and be redefined uh, at will. They are transient. Uh, they can change from election cycle to election cycle, presidency to presidency, or with the existence of a massive administrative state, uh, it can just change because whatever nameless, faceless bureaucrat is in charge of that particular policy or regulation uh, decided that they don't like it anymore. Now, one of the uh, very unpleasant and uncomfortable 
uh, applications of, of, uh, of the positive freedoms is that they tend to prejudice and discriminate against some populations as a necessity. And this, especially, this emerges, emerges especially when positive freedoms are examined alongside uh, different identity groups uh, divided on race or uh, you know, sexual preferences uh, or even between uh, men and women where you'll have uh, well, one group saying they have a right to X, Y, or Z and they claim to have that right despite of or because of uh, this immutable characteristic or in the modern day uh, rights being claimed by groups for their uh, changeable characteristics and uh, characteristics that are arbitrarily uh, chosen. Now in positive freedoms uh, is the governing principle of radical ideologies. Uh, the founding based as it was on enlightenment thought, reason, logic, rationality, it gravitated naturally towards uh, rational rights. Now, the first perversion of this idea of natural rights came from slave owners who insisted that they had a right in the ownership of other human beings. Uh, and this became the one of the governing arguments for the entire antebellum period and, and certainly the founding era and colonial era. Uh, and it was uh, retorted and argued against constantly and effectively uh, by those who were anti-slavery, uh, and opposed to the institution's expansion, and even by those who were ambivalent, they just they simply recognized that that was a very clear and and absurd, untenable abuse of natural rights theory. And that that abuse uh, became concentrated exclusively, really, in the Democratic Party uh, throughout the uh, the early antebellum years, and especially as those years went on. Uh, throughout uh, Reconstruction, and then later Jim Crow. It was very often asserted that the white man had, or the southern man had, X, Y right that blacks did not have. Uh, or, depending on the time period, the Irish didn't have, the Italian didn't have, the American Indian didn't have, um, and women didn't have, although that's a different, different conversation as far as uh, equal obligations go. So very early in the life of, of the country, and especially with the most obvious examples uh, put forward here, segregation being another, of course, all of these policies, uh, not coincidentally, were instituted and governed primarily by the Democratic Party, uh, which was really just a continuation of their perversions of natural rights uh, theory in support of slavery and its federal protections and its expansion uh, throughout the uh, 1800s ultimately leading to the Civil War. But this was not uh, relegated only to the Democratic Party initially as well. Uh, progressivism also infiltrated the Republican Party, uh, although pretty, uh, pretty temporarily. Uh, but communism, socialism, Marxism, progressivism all adhere to concepts of positive freedoms granted by uh, governmental structures and agencies and individuals, and they all veer away from any concept of natural rights as they are defined and understood here. And the reason for that is simple. 
an observation of those rights weakens the state, well, whereas a rejection of those rights puts the power into the hands of the state to determine the rights of citizens. Now, what's, what's interesting about this as well is, is uh, the United Nations actually kind of joined the, uh, the crowd uh, with the idea of positive freedoms, which they read so similar to FDR, Second Bill of Rights, that it's, it's rather redundant to read again. Uh, but it's very clear upon examining that these so-called rights uh, were untenable and unattainable especially come from the United Nations. So if someone in America decides that every child in Africa is due a quality education, which first is undefined, what is quality? If you accept that as a natural right obligated by the American government, that means that you've obligated every American citizen to provide for that education. So you can see how this, this becomes a very difficult thing to not just to understand, but to control. Uh, and the idea of positive freedoms often expands and grows in ways that make it virtually untenable. And then by the time uh, you know, a couple, couple decades or a century goes by, everybody runs around claiming a right to everything they want, and most don't uh, really exercise even the most basic understanding of what their actual real, natural, and civil rights are, uh, which the civil rights movement became a vehicle of positive freedoms, uh, especially throughout the progressive era and later. Uh, groups like the NAACP and their Crisis Magazine, Webb Du Bois, uh, all of which were very, very heavily communist. Uh, the NAACP did, uh, did not quit or did not denounce communism uh, until the uh, Truman administration uh, prior to that, uh, they espoused uh, the Soviet Union as being the example, the shining star of racial equality in the world. <clears throat> and uh, they, they adopted these, this understanding that uh, economic rights were a, a human right, not a natural right, but a, a positive freedom. That is the under, underlying principle of all collectivist, redistributionist ideologies. They're all predicated on the idea that everyone has a right to a certain thing or income or standard of living uh, or uh, essentially it's an equality of outcome argument, even though in practice it never ends up that way. It ends up the way it ended up in uh, the Soviet Union, uh, where a small group, uh, what Lenin called his vanguard party, essentially control everything with a totalitarian iron fist. Uh, so everybody's equally miserable in that respect. But so an understanding of what real natural rights are and what civil rights are as a consequence, uh, you'll see that, that that does not mix well with later arguments for civil rights, which changed, uh, especially from, say, your Frederick Douglass and uh, your Robert Elliott and your Robert Smalls and other black Republican candidates in the, in the, during Reconstruction, when all of their arguments were simply for the equal use of the same rights practiced by their uh, white compatriots. And of course, that 
message was uh, quick to change, uh, especially in the uh, 20th century. Uh, and we had the rise then of the social welfare state under, uh, yeah, we'll say under FDR. Uh, but the roots can be traced back uh, much further than that. So with this understanding then, uh, we can uh, compare and contrast uh, the natural rights versus positive freedoms, and really what separates those two ideas. One is essential to the function of a free society, and the other is destructive to the function of a free society. Uh, one is meant to protect the individual from the state and the infringement of others, and positive freedoms require the infringement upon other citizens and require certain outcomes or uh, can, or, or material goods from the government, and so by as a consequence, then from fellow citizens, uh, just it's just got a few extra steps involved. Uh, so this helps frame our understanding of human history and especially American history during this time period, and it will go on to affect the civil rights conversation very heavily uh, going forward.